Today, we continue with the post-Easter appearances of Jesus, and in particular, the famous one along the Emmaus Road, when the disciples didn't realise it was Jesus. And it reminds us that God accompanies us through life. And although we might not expect to see God physically, like he appeared to the disciples that day, he could be anywhere, any place and at any time, because God isn't constrained by such things. first reading this morning is taken from Acts 2, verses 14, then 36 to 41. Then Peter stood up with the other eleven apostles, and in a loud voice began to speak to the crowd. All the people of Jerusalem, then, are to know for sure that this Jesus, whom you crucified, is the one that God has made Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were deeply troubled and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do, brothers? Peter said to them, each one of you must turn away from your sins and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins will be forgiven and you will receive God's gift, the Holy Spirit. For God's promise was made to you and your children and to all who are far away, all whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter made his appeal to them, and with many other words he urged them, saying, Save yourselves from the punishment coming on this wicked people. Many of them believed his message and were baptised, and about 3,000 people were added to the group that day. Our second reading is from 1 Peter, commencing to read at verse 17, and we're taking it from the message. Do you realise how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. So roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, just doing what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. You call out to God for help and he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father and won't let you get by with sloppy living. Life is a journey you must travel with deep consciousness of God. It costs God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished sacrificial lamb 
and this was no afterthought. Even though it has only lately, at the end of the ages, become public knowledge, God always knew he was going to do this for you. It's because of this sacrificial Messiah, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God, that you know you have a future in God. Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. Your new life is not like your old life. Your old birth came from mortal seed. Your new birth comes from God's living word. Just think, a life conceived by God himself. That's why the prophet said, the old life is a grass life. Its beauty as short-lived as wildflowers. Grass dries up, flowers droop. But God's word goes on and on forever. This is the word that conceived a new life in you. In our first passage from Acts 2, we heard about the amazing success of the Spirit-filled Pentecost mission. And that passage starts off with a challenge to the Jewish listeners that through the resurrection, God powerfully affirmed the status and position of the one they had rejected, i.e. Jesus. And those listeners are deeply shocked by their grave error and seek to make amends. However, repentance, of course, is more than just saying sorry or a feeling of remorse. Repentance involves a total turnaround. So you heard in verse 38, it says, each one of you must turn away from his sin and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins will be forgiven and you will receive God's gift, the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to note that the baptism referred to here for forgiveness in the name of Jesus takes John's baptism a stage further. For with it comes the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it also goes on to say, for God's promise was made to you and your children and to all who are far away, all whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is a call to mission to the rest of the world and underlines God's offer of grace to all subsequent generations. In summary, God's offer is open to everybody. And that's a very important distinction, I think. This is not just for, you know, a small group of trusted friends that 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 knew Jesus. This is literally for everybody including you and I in the here and now. So if we look at the passage from 1 Peter 1, the main message is one of a call to holy living and that we, we have to adopt a lifestyle consistent with our profession of faith. And not to do that is, of course, living a lie because we have to live from the heart because God knows what's in our heart. And out of gratitude for all that God has done for us in Christ, 
we are called to a holy living in conformity to his commands. It also starts with a reminder that God has no favourites. He will only judge or reward you according to what you do. I actually think that um, the idea of having favourites is a very divisive concept in life. And this is a great thing to hear, that God does not favour one person over another. You know, celebrities will be at the back of the queue just as much as anybody else. And we're haunted by the idea of favourites in normal life, you know, ranging from when we were at school, when we knew the teacher preferred other pupils to us and often favoured their work, through to being at work and as an adult and finding others are being promoted ahead of us when we know the only reason is that they know that the boss outside work or have ingratiated themselves in some way. So I'm glad favouritism will stop. But Peter knew that this would ring true even in first century Palestine. So we place our trust and faith in Jesus Christ and we won't be disappointed. Christ was raised from the dead in great glory. And the words from Peter, who saw it all happen, do ring true. And as it says in the passage, love each other deeply with all your heart. Our third reading is from Luke 24, 13 to 35, the walk to Emmaus. On that same day, two of Jesus' followers were going to a village named Emmaus, about 11 kilometres from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about all the things they had, that had happened. As they talked and discussed, Jesus himself drew near and walked along with them. They saw him, but somehow did not recognise him. Jesus said to them, what are you talking about to each other as you walk along? They stood still with sad faces. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have been happening here these last few days? What things, he asked. The things that happened to Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. This man was a prophet and was considered by God and by all the people to be powerful in everything he did and said. Our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and he was crucified. And we had hoped that he would be the one who was going to set Israel free. Besides all that, this is now the third day since it happened. Some of the women from our group surprised us. They went at dawn to the tomb, but could not find his body. They came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who told them that he is alive. Some of our group went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, how slow you are to believe everything the prophets said. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and then to enter his glory? And Jesus explained to them, what was said about himself in all the scriptures, beginning with the books of Moses and the writings of all the prophets. As they came near the village to which they were going, 
Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they held him back saying, stay with us, the day is almost over and it is getting dark. So he went in to stay with them. He sat down to eat with them, took the bread and said the blessing. Then he broke the bread and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, wasn't it like a fire burning in us when he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? They got up at once and went back to Jerusalem where they found the 11 disciples gathered together with the others and saying, the Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. The two then explained to them what had happened on the road and how they had recognized the Lord when he broke the bread. That's a great story. The passage about the disciples on the Emmaus Road is a wonderful example of how God can interact with us through the Holy Spirit on our life's journey. So I suppose there's three points I'd like to bring out from, from that passage and several other wonderful messages that we can all learn from. Firstly, of course, it reflects that we are all on life's journey, just like those two disciples traveling the Emmaus Road. In fact, the two disciples were journeying on, having almost abandoned hope now and forgetting the way of Jesus. Jesus, the most wonderful and most loving person they'd ever met, had been brutally executed on an apparently trumped up charge. Where was God? How did God allow this to happen? Why hadn't God intervened to stop this atrocity? <clears throat> In verse 21, as we heard, it says, and we'd hoped that he would be the one who was going to set Israel free. They thought that Jesus was going to solve all of their earthly woes. So here we have <clears throat> two sad and lonely disciples plodding along the road, feeling tired, depressed, and discouraged. You know, perhaps we feel the same when things have gone wrong for us in today's world. You know, with the economy struggling, <clears throat> danger of losing our house, no money for heating, and our car's gone wrong, <clears throat> and it'll cost too much to fix. So we go home only to find the bailiffs have been. <clears throat> A feeling of depression that all was lost, that there was no point. How many of us have been there and felt exactly like that in our own lives? Now, if you go back to the story in Luke, the two disciples were joined by a third traveller, who at first seemed just like any other person travelling along the same dusty road of life that those two disciples were plodding. They didn't recognise this stranger and therefore just spoke to him as if, as if he was any other person. Yet, as they were to discover in a moment of complete surprise that this third dusty traveller was the risen Jesus Christ, their Lord, whom they should have been able to recognise anywhere. The very essence of the invisible God was there with them. 
However, as it says in the passage, their eyes were kept from recognising him. Their eyes were kept from recognising him. Jesus joins us incognito along life's journey, for sure. That's how Christ comes to us, in situations where we are not expecting it, in ways that we cannot predict. And this passage highlights for me one of the ways I recognise Jesus in my own experience, but only because I was on a journey, I believe. I was travelling through life looking for, I don't know, maybe for evidence of Jesus. So perhaps, perhaps I was ready to see something should it have happened. So I was, I was alert, I suppose. And I think that journeying on could be a key point. The question could be, are you journeying on or are you stuck where you are, sort of stationary in the midst of life? You could be feeling comfortable and satisfied, or you may even be the opposite, uncomfortable and uneasy, the opposite. That journeying, I think, is a key point, a key that brings into focus that discipleship in Jesus is, is experienced by walking along that dusty road of life well, with all its ups and downs, the road of life's experiences. And I suppose it's a kind of image for discipleship as well. We will not move on unless we travel and journey on and experience it. Because if because we do not necessarily create encounters with God unless we do something ourselves. So we create an opportunity by our actions. Thinking about it, we I suppose it might be unlikely to encounter God while we're sitting watching the television or doing DIY or whatever, but it could be possible. You know, somebody might knock on the door or there may be a program that's meaningful. If I was stretching a point. But Jesus walks with us in ordinary situations, communicating through ordinary people, doing ordinary things. If we trust in the Holy Spirit and I suppose, get out there, really. But maybe that's not how we expect it to happen. Often in our mind, we have a vision that the Lord would show himself to us in a, maybe in a dramatic way. Perhaps the dramatic evangelical experience at a Christian conference or, or a healing service. Or in a dramatic experience in meditation or, or prayer. Perhaps in a profound experience in a beautiful cathedral, in the flow of beautiful liturgy. And we could go on, of course. And, of course, we would like an event like that every few weeks to keep us sort of on top of things, you know, simmering with faith and love and lifting us high above the plain ordinary and sometimes boring way of life. But that's not often how God works. It's not often how Jesus Christ most commonly works. He does work like that sometimes. I, I, I believe that, but not all of the time. I could relate dramatic events to illustrate these, but a question we need to think about is this. How do we know when Jesus is working in our own lives? Well, <clears throat> he may be working anonymously, just like he was along the Mayor's Road with those two disciples he's there working with us even if we 
don't realize or acknowledge him. So it may have been unsurprising that when the two disciples meet Jesus, they didn't recognize him at first. But then they interacted with him along the road. And when they had supper with him, finally, he did something that instantly showed who it was, that it was Jesus. Their eyes were opened because only Jesus knew about those special times they'd had together. I'd like to share with you um, a personal story, which um, I've got in my notes here as being possible if there is time. And I think we have got time this morning. So um, I'm going to uh, tell you about um, a story that happened to me. This was when I worked in the aerospace industry. And I had to go abroad. Um, this would have been, I suppose, around about the year 2000-ish. Um, can't remember the exact date. <clears throat> and um, my, my company sent me to a meeting in Hamburg in Germany. And so I was going to meet some of my German and French counterparts working on um, uh, aircraft project. So I packed my bag and got on the flight. <clears throat> and as I was going over there, um, I had a, um, a sudden kind of feeling that uh, of worry, really, because I didn't speak German, I didn't speak French, and I thought this could be awkward. Um, although my colleagues could speak English well. So I arrived at the hotel, which was in a, um, it was quite a, um, on the outskirts of, of Hamburg, <clears throat> in, an, in a family-run hotel, and they didn't speak English, uh, only German. So um, it was quite tricky, but I got my room. And then when I was in the room, I thought, I've got to go outside and um, speak and, and try and grapple with trying to get some food for the evening in a restaurant on my own. So this really worried me. So I opened up the um, mini bar, as you do, and ate all the chocolate and thought, well, that's not going to keep me going. Um, so I'm going to have to go out and find um, a restaurant. So I knelt down at the bedside. It sounds ridiculous, really, but I, I knelt down at the bedside and said a prayer, which went along the lines of, you know, please, can you help me? Because um, I've got to go and do this, this little task of finding some food. Um, and I felt this very, very strong presence in the room, really strong, um, which set, started to set the, the hairs on the back of my neck up for some reason. And just at that moment, the phone rang in the bedroom. I had no idea who it was because I didn't think anybody knew I was in this place in the middle of Germany. How would that somebody know? So I picked up the telephone and it was my French colleague um, saying, I've just arrived in Hamburg and I thought you might, it might be nice for me to come out with you for dinner. So I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. I said, yes, let's do that. Um, so I had no idea where I was. So I got out um, a, a piece of paper from, uh, no, there was some instructions on the 
hotel bedside and I said well if you um, just cross the bridge take the second the second turning off after the bridge and follow the road round you'll come to the hotel so I waited for about 20 minutes and wandered out to the front where I'd expect to see him as I stood outside it was getting dark and this car I could see was going to drive past and then suddenly stopped and pulled in I thought that's got to be him so he he pulled the car in and the door flew open and he said it's a miracle <laughs> and I said yeah you're right it is it's a miracle <laughs> he said no you don't understand um as I came across the bridge um that road that you said was completely turned off I couldn't drive up it to get to the hotel and I, I was just driving round Hamburg just taking any left or right turns and then suddenly I saw you standing on the roadside I said well funny funny that happening because um I thought well I explained to him later that I prayed about meetings trying to get around this problem anyway we went out for a dinner and uh everything all went well uh, because he could speak um he could speak fluent german french and english i could only speak english but there we go um but i believe in that encounter something happened when i prayed about it and um those series of events really made an impact on me i'm sure god was working anonymously and that brings me to the second point <clears throat> This account in Luke is one of, of the importance of personal testimony as well, like I've just done here. Um, and when you do personal testimony, it does have an impact on people. So if you do have any, like I've just explained, perhaps um, you can share that with others because it does impact on them. And if you're worried about doing it, just try it with people that you know first and then then it becomes easier with people you don't so you may not have any experiences that you can share but we just continue traveling along that road and being active and many people who have a profound experience of God have never had what we would term an Emmaus road or dramatic experience. Some are disappointed they haven't, and some get upset when they are told of others' experiences uh, because they've never had one of those. But as, as I've said, Jesus works in the ordinary ways, and we have to be sensitive, sensitive enough to experience that. And I think he also works in spiritual ways, so we need to be sensitive of that too. So the final point I'd like to bring out from this Luke passage is the enrichment and joy about offering hospitality to strangers. Some people meet Jesus by doing this. It's rather the same as journeying on. The same way you're meeting new people and do not know what to expect. So you're walking and growing with God. And the passage tells us that when Jesus sat with those disciples on the Emmaus Road for a meal, that's when they realised who he was. 
So there's something important about sharing food, having a meal with people, some of whom you may not know, it can be a strangely warming and spiritual experience. So finally, a summary. Our faith will be deepened by accepting that Christ is active in our lives through the ordinary moments of our life of our lives. And you can recognize the, these in hindsight, that an invisible presence has been with you at times when you have needed it, although you may not have recognized it at the time. Secondly, yeah, we do need to interact with people in faith so we can boldly stand up for the Christian faith. And finally, hospitality. We can share some of this, some of the bounty of our lives with others. And in so doing, we become aware of Christ's presence in our lives through sharing with those people. So hopefully today, something may, may be of use to you to help you in your journey through life, that you meet the risen Lord through walking and talking with others. Amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Saviour. my song, praising my Saviour all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy. Whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. All is at rest I am my Savior I'm happy and blessed Watching and waiting Looking above Filled with His goodness Lost in His love This is my story This is my song Praising my Savior is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior.
in this podcast is adapted from recorded Zoom services held by Teambridge Methodist Circuit Coastal Section. Full videos can be viewed on their YouTube channel. Music is taken from worship audio tracks, all rights reserved. <laughs>